Good morning, my friends. Thank you for joining me on this podcast today. We are excited about the program that we are going to share with you. It was done last Saturday with a group of young men uh, that I was privileged to be on a panel with. It was called the Proverbs 31 Man. So I, I wanted to share this with you. Please take the time to listen and apply the principles in your daily life. It, although it's a Proverbs 31 Man, it's instructive for both men and women. God bless you. Listen carefully. My name is Sean Breverson, and I want to thank you so much for joining our discussion on the Proverbs 31 Man. I hope that you're wherever you're tuning in from, you're able to take notes because, you know, God is going to bless and we're going to share a lot, a lot of things that you need to really, really consider as, a, as, as concerning manhood and the Bible, of course. So we're going to start. I'm going to just say a word of prayer and we'll begin. Gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we bow before you, Lord, claiming, Lord, the, the promise, Lord, in your word where you told us that if we ask for forgiveness, you'll give it to us. So we ask that and we claim that promise. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for another beautiful day that you've given to us. And we pray that you use us, Lord, please, Lord. I pray that you bless every panelist, help them to speak with power and conviction. And please, Lord, help many to receive meat in due season. Thank you so much for your goodness. We love you, but please, Lord, help us to love you more. In Jesus Christ's name, with thanksgiving. Amen. <clears throat> so if you could just unmute your mics, panelists. Great, Sean, are we ready to record? Yep. Great. Well, good morning, everyone, again. Uh, so glad to be with you this morning. I'm going to be, I have the distinguished pleasure of introducing our panelists that we have uh, for this uh, panel uh, this morning. So I'm going to start off with uh, Brother Andre Waller. You go ahead and introduce yourself to the group. Sure. Good morning, everybody. So my name is Andre Waller. I am married to one wonderful woman. Her name is Alpha, and I have a little girl who's about to turn 13 in a few short days. And uh, her name is Niasia, and we run a missionary training school here in New Hampshire called Tacoa Missions. And we recently started a little uh, podcast called The Gospelpreneur. So everyone's welcome to check that out when they get a chance. Wonderful. Thank you. And uh, next up, Brother Chris. Yes. Uh, hey, guys. My name is Chris Mindanao. Uh, 21 years old, currently a student at Rutgers University. Um, I've also been working with a campus ministry um, at Rutgers University and also working with GYC Atlantic um, in the evangelism department. And yeah, this topic is really important to me because I, 
I personally have struggled with a lot of these things that we'll be talking about today. So um, it's definitely going to come from a, from a personal level. Thank you, Chris. And uh, next up, um, Michael, brother Michael. Hi, I'm Michael Carducci, and I'm with Coming Out Ministries, a ministry that was started by uh, five individuals uh, about 10 years ago, addressing the sexual sin uh, biblically uh, and talking about biblical sexuality, addressing not only LGBT issues, but also pornographies, uh, premarital sex, uh, monogamous adultery, which is rampant in our Christian culture today. Thank you, Brother Michael. And uh, next up, Renoir. Hello, everyone. How you doing? My name is Renoir, and I'm out here in the hills of New York. And um, my family and myself, we run a health retreat here in New York. And, you know, some other things that we do as well. Um, but also I'm married to one wife, which is Inga, Inga Sages. And I'm excited to share and also to learn being here on the, on the chats and in this conversation this morning. Great, and uh, Brother Uche. Yes, my name is Uche. Uh, I live in Georgia. Um, uh, thankful for the opportunity to be on here. I myself, uh, uh, my passion is ministry, um, many different forms of ministry, but I especially love um, just being able to help people to, uh, I love one of my giftings is teaching and training. Um, so that, that's one of the things I'm involved in, helping people to engage in missionary work. Um, I live here in Georgia, and uh, this subject has special meaning to me, as did Chris say there, uh, you know, this, this is one of the things that has some touch points in my own personal life um, that I'm thankful to be able to share where God has given me victories in my life. Amen. Amen. And uh, I will greet you all. My name is uh, Brandon uh, Taylor. Uh, my wife and I, I have his name, Sharetta Taylor, and uh, we are uh, the hosts of the YouTube uh, channel Worth the Wait, where we give uh, ministry on godly romance with purpose. And we're very, I'm very excited to be here as one of your hosts uh, for this morning's panel discussion, alongside my brother, Sean Brereton, who is uh, also our co-host. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brandon. So without further ado, let's just get into it. And we're just going to throw these questions out there. Some of these questions are just questions that, you know, a lot of young people in and outside of the church are dealing with. These are some things, some concerns that they're having. So we want to be able to, by God's grace, see if we can address some of these concerns. So we're going to go ahead and start with our first question. And again, as you're impressed to answer, please do. All right, and it reads, I've been watching porn for years. And I had this image of what sex should look like and how a man should perform. How do I get over this fear of not living up to these expectations and that's performance anxiety when I finally, when I finally experienced the real thing with my future wife? It's a heavy question to start off with. All right. So 
Yeah, let me let me jump in on this one. Uh, this is a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about it and musing over it. And there are four things I'm going to suggest off top, and then I'm going to try to tackle each one as as efficiently as I can. So the first thing is that the way the question is posed is like there is an issue of beholding something. And so without, we know a principle uh, from inspiration that by beholding, we actually become what we, we look at, what we focus on. So by beholding, we become changed. So there are, there's a Bible text in Romans chapter 12, verse two, uh, that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so this performance anxiety, which is, there's an anticipation for something to transpire, which you're not involved in at the moment, but you're realizing your present condition, right? So your present condition is I'm involved in something that is corrupting my mind and gives me a view of what sex is supposed to be like. So be transformed by, re by the renewing of your mind. So there are four things I'm gonna suggest. I'm quite sure there are many more that you, you can apply. Um, the first, time, first thing is spend more time in God's word. Uh, spend more time beholding Christ. So if you behold Christ, you behold Christ by studying the scriptures. Uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's what Psalms 119 verse 11 says. Uh, John 17, 17 says, sanctify, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So our, the word of God is that which sanctifies us. It's, it's that which purifies our mind. I want to read Titus to you because Titus actually says something that I found to be quite interesting. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it says this in chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared. What did it do? not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, how? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the first thing I'm gonna say is, spend more time in God's word. It will do something to your mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, in verse nine, it says something very, very powerful. It, it lists all these different sins that people are dealing with, whether it be fornication, adultery, and then it says, and such were some of you. That means you're no longer bound or kept by that particular sin. God has transformed you. He has changed you. So Philippians 4 verse 8 uh, also says something that I thought was interesting, and it has to do with this, this idea of beholding that which is pure, right? Uh, putting that which is pure before your eyes. Uh, if you can cut off those things that stimulate, whether it be the movies that you may be watching, whether it be, because if you cut off porn, that's just one thing, Well, there's all these other stimulants that pre present themselves. Mm -hmm. So you have to be intentional of what you're putting your eyes on. So don't, don't just say, I'm going to cut off porn. You need to cut off anything that will trigger a response to go back to um, that which hinders your, your growth and development. 
And I think it's Psalms 101, verse 3. It says, I will put no wicked thing wicked before thing my before eyes, my right? Amen. I will not put anything there that would 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 put my mind away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another, there's there's this powerful thought, and I'm, I'm running out. I want to make sure I, I keep with the time. Mm-hmm. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So if I if I have a view of love and I'm looking at sex as quote unquote this interaction, I'm having this anxiety. Guess what I found? Man, I only have a few seconds left. Guess what I found? First Corinthians chapter seven, verses one through four. And it's, it's powerful. I don't think people have looked at it this way, but I'm gonna read it to you. First um, Corinthians chapter seven, verses one through four says this. It says, now concerning the things which I wrote unto you, it is good that a man not touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now watch this now. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife have not power. Hold on one second. The wife have not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband have power over his own body, but the wife. So what is that saying? That in this relationship of intercourse with the other, this is where your anxiety goes away. You connect on mind and soul before you get to body. When you get to body, that body does not belong to me. It belongs to her. And her body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to me. So what does that mean? That in this union between two parties, I am sacrificing. I am submitting my body and I'm submitting my desires for hers. So that tells me it's about communication. If I enter into the relationship and we're communicating and we're talking and then I'm understanding what she desires and she's understanding what I desire and those desires are sanctified by God's love then there should be no anxiety except that I don't want to be selfish when I enter into this, this sacred union. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my simple answer in the, you know, short amount of time. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, mm-hmm. Andre. Um, powerful words. I hope we're all taking notes here uh, for ourselves, but let's move on to question, question two, because I think this is going to continue to help us build on what brother Andre has laid out there for us right now. So let's look at question number two. And question two says, I'm afraid to tell others that I have a sexual sin problem. I feel like they will judge me. How how can I overcome this fear and who should I go to for help? Okay, so um, that's that's a very interesting question. It's a simple answer, but also a complicated answer as well, because um, out there in the world, you have so many varying types of ideas um, by different individuals and different people. Um, But one of the things that I could say is, first of all, there's a stigma attached to sexual sins and sexual problems. And therefore people are free to discuss and talk about it, especially some young people because of how it it may be received by individuals who are older and so forth. Um, But just to also understand sin, that sin is sin. No matter if you steal, no matter if you have pride, uh, no matter what your sin is, it's sin is sin. And there shouldn't really be a stigma attached to one specific sin over the other. So that way we can break down the barriers so we can have 
some communication, especially with those people who are in need of some help. But now for the individual who are who is sitting there and thinking like, who can I even approach with my issues? Who can I even um, tell my, my problems? Then we need to understand, first of all, you need to seek someone who, uh, who know, you know to live a righteous life. And you can see that by the fruits. The Bible has said in Matthew 17, verse 16, by the fruits you shall know them. Um, to the best of your ability, you, you seek someone who you know is living a righteous life. And also someone who has a knowledge of the word of God and also the, the writings of, of Ellen White. So you know you can get some good counsel because a lot of times you may go to someone for counsel and that, counsel, that counsel may not be appropriate. Um, and also um, you wanna be able to help, to go to someone who can actually help you and pray with you through that situation. And another thing is also, if you were looking to seek someone and, and reach out to someone, um, for men, you should, most of the time, you should approach a man with your problem. And a woman, you, you should approach a woman with your problem. And one of the first reasons uh, for that is because when, when a, a woman is approach, let's say approaches a, a man with a problem, no matter the age of that man, um, that may cause some other issues to rise up, um, especially if, if you are counseling alone or if there's no one, you know, someone else not involved. If it's a, if it's a couple, a husband and wife, then that may be more something that, that you, can, you can do. Um, but, but you seek someone that can help you through that issue. And sometimes it may be difficult to even find someone that fits into that category here. But what you can do is to reach out to someone, let's say even on social media today, right? you know, you have so many friends, um, the men on this, on this, uh, this line right now on, the, on Zoom, you can reach out to, to, to someone that you know on social media who has a good rapport, who, who you know to live a righteous life and to your knowledge, and someone who you know upholds the Bible that can give you some right counsel in the right direction. And um, because I have had individuals who have reached out to me um, in, in the past with, with different issues and you know, had to pray with them and, and counsel them for some of the, the issues that they were going through. So that, that's one of the things I can say, um, but also just for individuals out there um, who may have a stigma towards this, this you know, sexual problems and, 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 and so forth, we need to be able to have open communication and be able to talk to individuals through these issues and understand where they're coming from and understand your sin, if it's just pride, then you know if you know to do good, it's it, it that could also keep you out of the kingdom of heaven as well. So we need mm -hmm. to. So that's something that we really need to um, do more of in our church uh, is to to counsel and to help individuals with those problems because that has been so quieted and muffled out that people are even afraid to approach individuals with this problem. So that's that's kind of my advice. It's 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 simple that that you can seek someone, but it's complicated because you have to find that right person. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. So yeah, yeah, these are really, really, um, you know, serious things that we should consider. Let's go on to the next question. And the next question, it reads, I grew up in a home where alcohol was abused on a regular basis. And now as a young adult, I struggle with the same problem. Does this make me not count as a Christian is God unhappy with alcohol, with alcoholism or with my alcoholism? 
So I'll take this question right here. Uh, this question uh, touches a, a personal spot here. Um, and I'll explain to you why in a moment, but, um, but I really wanna deal with, with kind of that latter end of the question first. Um, is God unhappy with my alcoholism? And does that, you know, does that not make me a Christian? So I'll deal with that first part first. Um, does that not make me a Christian? So I say you have two, two different classes of people um, that are Christians, you could say. Yeah, actually, you could say three, but just for the sake of this scenario, you really have two. So you have one Christian who um, who's living in sin and they continue to keep participating in it. They say, you know, God understands and they have no desire whatsoever to get the victory over that thing and they keep practicing it. Then you have the other, you have this other individual that actually believes that it's sin. They believe that there's something that's wrong with it and the desire to get the victory over that thing. I believe that the, the, the latter person who is seeking to cooperate with God Who's seeking to work with God, but they have some struggles that that they're that they're going that they're going through. I would say that 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 individual is looked at very differently from the individual who's just living in sin, and they could care less whether or not they get the victory over that thing or not. To to the other end of that, is 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 God unhappy? I, I you know one of the things I see implied in that is is a thought that when a person is struggling, um, that God doesn't love them anymore. And um, I, I want to read something to you in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Uh, verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the, one of the reasons why I read this scripture is because, um, you know, there's a subject I've been studying recently that, that's, uh, you know, uh, I've been studying the subject of spiritual warfare lately. And, and specifically, one thing I've been looking at recently is this thing called psychological warfare. And, and as I've looked at the subject of psychological warfare, one of the things that enemies seek to do is, in order to beat their opponent is they seek to break down their opponent's morale and their will to fight. And so the enemy, if he can successfully get into a person's mind that God, um, when they're struggling with something and they're seeking to get the victory over it, if he can successfully get into their mind that God hates them or that God doesn't love them or that God doesn't want anything to do with them, then he breaks that person's morale down, their hope, their confidence in God. And thus, as that person's faith is crippled, it separates them from God and God cannot do in that person's life what he wants to do. And so that's one of the first things that I wanted to mention. What I wanted to, to, to um, spend the rest of my time in answering the question is, I just kind of wanted to give a, a four-step process that that person who, who is dealing with with alcohol can um, can do. So um, one of the first things, you know, as a person is, is struggling with this, one of the things that I love about God, when you study the Bible, you see that both in heaven as well as on earth, all sin came as a result of false education. Um, the enemy educated mankind into rebellion. So if man was educated into rebellion, then the opposite of that is that there is some education that, that is involved in restoring a man back to his loyalty to God. And so that speaks of a process. 
Um, a person doesn't, you know, necessarily become an alcohol uh, alcoholic overnight. A, a person doesn't necessarily, um, you know, step into certain things overnight. It, it, it's a process. There's an education that a person goes through. So what I wanted to leave leave a person with is this: number one, um, Proverbs 26 and verse two says that the curse causeless shall not come. So it's very important that a person understands that the alcoholism is a symptom of a deeper underlying cause. And so a person wants to understand what, what is the cause of it? What is it that, you know, for me, it was, I was trying to avoid something. I was trying to numb some of the things that had happened to me as a child. And so that was my way, drinking alcohol was my way of being able to deal, uh, deal with my issues. But it even went deeper than that, that there were other things that God had to reveal to me. So that, that was the first thing I would say is understand what the underlying cause is. The second thing that I would say is understand what, what your triggers are. Because for me, what the enemy would do to get me to go back into drinking alcohol is he would always get me to feel depressed. That was one of my triggers. Then once I would feel depressed, I would want to drown out those feelings of depression and start to drink and watch pornography and do several other different things. So that was kind of the gateway through which the enemy would lead me into falling into sin was so was, was that depression. So understand what your triggers are and then ask the Lord to help you to know what to do when those triggers come. The uh, third thing is there's oftentimes some negative thinking patterns that God is gonna have to teach somebody how to overcome. And, and, and you know, to what uh, Andre was saying earlier, um, you know, with uh, Philippians 4.8, you know, you have to change the way that you think by placing your mind on something completely different. And, and the last and final thing that I'll leave you with, I know I'm running through this very, very quickly, but last thing that I'll leave you with is, is when God shows you what the cause is, ask him where in his word can you go to replace some of those negative thinking patterns, some of those, you know, feelings of, uh, um, you know, self-loathing or whatever it is that's contributing to your alcoholism, ask God to show you in his word what principles that you can apply to replace uh, those things with, with, with the things that the enemy tends to use to lead you into sin. Those are just some thoughts that, that, that I would say there. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, I totally agree with those points. Really, really powerful. Thank you. So we're gonna move forward with our next question. And it reads, my childhood friends were mostly girls, and I wonder if I should have been a girl. I don't feel very manly, and I'm not attracted to girls. Should I follow through with these feelings and change my gender? Would God still love me if I became a woman? Wow. I'll take that question. It sounds like something that I would have written. This is Michael uh, Carducci. I want to start off uh, just definitely identifying with this question. Those were uh, the exact thoughts that I had in my mind. Uh, my first thoughts as I was a little boy coming into consciousness about four years old is that I thought it was a girl trapped in a boy's body. I didn't realize that there was a lot of damage that was done, not even before I was conscious that was happening in my unconscious, but it was also happening in my DNA. And not only was there sexual sin in the DNA, um, which Exodus 20 verse five talks about the sins of the generations to three to four generations. And while I was never, um, there was never anybody else that was transgender in my family, there was sexual sin. But at four years old, thinking that I was a girl, I didn't know how to make this transition 
uh, to becoming liked by the guys in school or or how to be more manly. And I there was definitely a disconnect. I felt inadequate as a male. You know, but Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse five is very clear. And the question that this person is also asking is, should I transition to become a woman? Um, it says in Deuteronomy, the woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. So I, I want to encourage the person that's asking this question that um, God's not calling you an abomination. The abomination is when you practice these things. Um, mm -hmm. And and I want to be very clear on this because it took many years, actually, until I was in my 40s before I started to understand what was really going on with these thoughts inside my head. But there was a disconnect between my dad, which began even before I was conscious. It's a term in, in psychology called defensive detachment. That meant that I didn't connect with my dad. I rejected my dad as my male role model. So the only example left was my mom. So before I was conscious, I was starting to imitate and emulate her. I didn't have any other examples of masculinity that was desirable to me. So I felt inadequate. I hung out with the girls. So then by the time I started school, then the boys started to pick up on my effeminate mannerisms. And the one thing that I needed was affirmation by the guys. But instead, I got more chastisement called little girl sissy. And so what that did is that pushed masculinity even further away from me. It made it even more um, uh, undesirable to me. So then, of course, by the time puberty came, I was thinking in my mind, the only way that I could be loved by a guy or accepted by a guy is if I was a girl, because it certainly didn't measure up as a man. You know, the Bible also says that our words have the power of life and death. And for anyone listening to this question that may be disgusted or disturbed, let me tell you something. You have the power of pronouncing life or death on anyone that you feel uh, may be disgusting or disturbing to you by calling them sissy or gay or the rejection. And what I needed was a solid um, person who was fine with their, their masculinity to just say, hey, you're a guy. You know, we accept you in the group. And you know something in my church, in my 40s, I actually found that. I found men that weren't afraid to interact with me or to approach me. And I think that this person asking the question is really looking to affirm their masculinity. They don't know how this thing got broken. It's a legitimate concern, but you're only exacerbating the problem by attempting to change your identity because science is very clear. Like our DNA is, is like our fingerprint on the inside. And the inter internal DNA can never change. You can mutilate your body. You can make it appear to be female, but you cannot change your DNA. Why? Because God was very clear in Jeremiah. He says that before the earth was formed, I knew you. And I knew you to be the male that I created you to be. And then in yeah. Psalms 139, God, again, is affirming to us that he's in pursuit of us and that his thoughts towards us are as countless as the sands of the seashore. And he goes on and on and says that you can go up to the heights and I'll still find you. You can go down to the depths and I'll be there. You can go into the darkness because darkness is the same as light to me. God is in loving pursuit of each one of us. And then he confirms it mm -hmm. through this, this, this affirmation. Psalms 139 is the transgender's hope. It says that I knit your delicate inward parts together in your mother's womb. It was not a mistake. You were not born in the wrong gender. The problem is not in your physical um, creation because I gave you that as a blessing. The problem is getting the mind to understand that there's a disconnect between the identity that I gave you. And what's really unfortunate is that so many people are buying into this lie 
that they were created in the wrong identity and that they can actually have sex change and take hormones that will not only decrease your, your life expectancy, but also increase your rates of cancer. And you'll have to be on this for the rest of your life. But what it does do is it, it misunderstands the, the life-giving creator that gave you that identity as a male or a female. Now, we're not talking about somebody that's androgynous. We're not talking about somebody that has uh, ambiguous genitalia that was born with both. That's a very small percentage of the population. But when you're talking about the transgender issue, you're talking about somebody completely male, rejecting masculinity, wanting to be female. So again, God says in Psalms 139, as he knit your delegate inward parts together, that identity was a gift from God. And so anything that goes against that, which is also Romans chapter one, is that ultimately God gives us up because we serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So again, the rejection of the masculinity that I had was a real issue, but there are reasons why. And so I'm only going to exacerbate the problem more by trying to create um, in myself this identity that I think I am, mm -hmm. rather than to allow God to affirm exactly who I am, not only through his word, but also through the ability to recognize that God is loving and he's pursuing me and that mm -hmm. he gave me this identity as a blessing. And that helped me to bring my identity and my Christianity together um, as a whole. Because no matter what I did to my body, there was no way that I was going to be able to change my DNA, which is, which is firm and set. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing that. God is so intentional, so loving towards each of us. And I believe that you reminded uh, us all of that um, uh, just in that short uh, response there. So thank you for that. I want to remind all of our attendees as well. I see the chat is going uh, quite active right now. I want to remind you that if you have any questions as we're going along, please insert them in the Q&A section of the Zoom so that we can get to those during our live, live Q&A portion. Um, our next question is, I'm talking to a girl, but we're not committed to one another. I'm no longer interested and she's heartbroken, but I don't understand why she's so emotionally involved if we were never an official item. Am I missing something? Where did I go wrong? Yeah, I, I think... Um... As a, as a single person, I think everyone else here is married. So I think I can kind of uh, give my two cents here. Um, but I, I feel like, especially in this generation that, that we're living in today, um, this is one of like the most difficult yet prominent and like just like a really ambiguous and kind of just like floating in the air sense of um, uh I guess, quote unquote, labeling things is, is what people like to call it. But I guess to answer the question, um, one of the first things to really acknowledge is that uh, it's, it's hard to spend time talking to someone and really getting to know someone without catching feelings. Um, there's a book called The Like Switch that uh, talks about this, and it, it talks about four different principles. And the first one is proximity. If you share physical space with somebody often, um, that's it's it's gonna it's gonna add to the feelings. Uh, the mm -hmm. second one is frequency, right? The number of times you interact with that person, the more comfortable you become. Um, number three, the the duration. The more time you spend with somebody, the more influence they have on you. Um, and number four is intensity, which is like 
you know, how much you disclose of yourself. And I, and I think this was discussed last night as well, mm -hmm. um, that we shouldn't be disclosing our deepest, darkest secrets to somebody we just met. Um, mm -hmm. So just, just with that as the foundation, um, it's, it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, these feelings, psychologically speaking, are like the most natural thing uh, possible. So with that in mind, right, as, as a Christian man to this person asking this question, um, it's really important to be conscious that this is a daughter of God, that this is a sister mm -hmm. in Christ, not somebody mm -hmm. that you can kind of just play with their feelings without mm -hmm. thinking that there's any sort of consequence um, to it, to, to them as an individual. Um, and I think from early on, it's really important to really just be real and just let your intentions be known. You know, we kind of hide in the dark with like kind of what we feel and, and kind of just um, our, our true intentions. You know, I think it's Proverbs and Proverbs 31 verse 30, it says charm is deceitful, right? So this concept of, of leading someone on without really having intentions for anything um, real is, is, is selfish. You know, you could really say that. Um, but I think just not even having intentions be explicitly stated kind of leaves this, this void um, in the relationship where it kind of just gets filled with imagination and assumptions of what the other person is thinking, right? We're not mind readers. Like, even if you study psychology, it doesn't matter how much you, you know, you understand like body language and stuff, yeah. you, you will never know what that person is really thinking. So I think verbally um, addressing these things and keeping it real throughout is, is very important. Um, and I guess just, um, you know, without this real intention being stated, it's also important to not treat somebody like your boyfriend or your girlfriend when they're not, you mm -hmm. know, I think that's something that we kind of do because we avoid labels. We try to begin treating people like they're already in a committed relationship with you without really claiming it. Um, so that's really important as well. And I think on the girl side here, um, in, in the context of this question, um, it's important to, to have the self-control, you know, as a human mm -hmm. being to, to not let the feelings take its natural course, you know, especially when you're just getting to know somebody, um, you know, and this is kind of for ourselves, you know, to, to have the self-control to not overly invest emotionally when of course there's no um, verbally, like openly uh, verbally stated intention, um, mm -hmm. you know, guard your heart, guard your heart mm -hmm. is, is what Proverbs says. And um, the last thing just to mention um, is that we, we really need to be considerate of other people's feelings Amen. because we, we already live in a society that, you know, we live off of approval and opinions and likes and mm. from other people, you know, so for us to like in, in this context, for this guy to um, really go through with this and then kind of just drop off, like, you know, like whatever, um, it kind of leaves the girl or the other person in, in the, in the state that, wow, I'm not good enough. There's something mm -hmm. wrong with me. And we already deal with that enough. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just the society Amen. we live in, we already struggle with that. So just that on top of it, it hurts yeah. that much more. Um, right. So I think our intention always has to be first Corinthians 13. Love does not seek its own love seeks mm -hmm. the other. So always keep in mind the other person's, perspective their feelings their emotions as you as you talk to them wow wow thank you chris
man, I feel so wrong to move on to another question after that, because I know these topics can go so deep. Um, but we're, I think we're going to continue to build on what you've touched on here in this next question. So, um, and that question is, in this society where women are sexually objectified in music, movies, ads, and the porn industry, I have trouble seeing women in a healthy way. Mm. What advice can you give to me to begin seeing women as God sees them? I'll take this. I'll take this one here. Um, this is this is one definitely, you know, from past experience. I, you know, I could relate to, and I think a lot of men can relate to this because even before, you know, we come to an age of maturity, you know, women um, just, you know, as it was mentioned in movies and music, are are objectified in a certain way that distorts our view of a woman. So, you know, one of the things that you see in the question is it says, you know, what what advice can you give me to begin? And I think the person's heart is already in the right place. You know, their Second um, Corinthians eight twelve says, "If there first be a willing mind," and so I, I can see with this individual that there's already a willingness to want to change the view that he has of women, and that's something that's extremely important in in having change in in any area of one's life. But the next thing that I would I would say to kind of I guess segue into discussing kind of what a person needs to do is, you know, I, I, I have at different times found this very interesting that a man can have a daughter whom he does not allow for men to treat that way. But then when he goes out on the streets, he treats women the very way that he doesn't want men to treat his, his own daughter. Nice and and, and what, what, what's, the, what's the cause for contradiction there? And I think one of the reasons for that is because, is because he values his daughter and that's the reason why he treats her in the way that he treats her. But it's because he does not value the woman on the street that he doesn't treat them with the same love and respect that he reposes in his daughter. Mm -hmm. So I think the central principle there that, that, we, that we need to be concerned with is this, this concept of value, right? Because that, that's the reason why women are objectified is because we don't, we don't value them. And so what needs to change is a person's value system. Now, I believe the most, the, the, the most valuable thing that a person can find in this world is centered in the life and most especially the death of Jesus Christ. And so I think as a man is looking at a woman, he's looking at her with his own eyes and he needs to put on some new lenses to change the perspective in which he sees things. And, and I believe that if, if, if he or any other man that's struggling with that is going to stop objectifying women, they need to start to, or, or even hurting people, period, is they need to start to see people through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest, the greatest value that can be found anywhere is in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I just want to talk on that just a little bit more. So before even looking at, at changing the way that he views women, he first needs to change the way that he views himself because mm. there, there, there is a value issue within himself that causes him to objectify, objectify women. And I wanna to explain to you what I mean. We live in a society to where when you grow up, you're considered to be a valuable man if, if there's sexual conquest. You're a valuable man if you can get a bunch of numbers. You're yeah. a valuable man if, 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 you, if you know how to talk really well to women. So mm -hmm. as a result of, of a man um, 
having this distorted view of value within himself, then that causes this, this misplaced va value to, 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 to find itself being manifested in the way that we look at women. And so that man first must see that his value is not centered in his ability to hurt people, but rather in his ability to love people, because that's exactly what you see with Jesus Christ. That you, you, you look at Jesus Christ's life, he consistently lived his life for other people. And, and so I, I wanna say this really quick as I wrap this up. So the man that loved his, the man that valued his daughter, he values his daughter because he loves his daughter, right? He doesn't value the people on the street because he doesn't love them. And so what a man has to do is not only see the value that God, that God has in giving his life for him, he must see that Christ gave his life for those people as well. And as he looks at, at these women that, that um, through that lens of the cross of Jesus Christ, it will help to instill value in, in his eyes for, 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 these precious, for these precious women on the street. I don't care if they're walking around in mini skirts. I don't care if they're walking around and their breast is hanging out of their shirt. God did not see us as we were. He saw us as what we could become through Amen. his death through his life. And so when we look at women, we can't not look at them as they are. We must look at them as what they can become in Christ. And Christ wants to work through you to help in uplifting these dear sisters from the level that the enemy has, has been successful in sinking them. And, and rather than objectifying, lift them up, um, you know, um, in the same way in which, you know, Christ himself, Christ himself did. So, you know, I guess what I what I would what I would end in 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 saying is number one, if you find yourself struggling right now objectifying women, uh, my brother already said it earlier. Psalms one hundred one and verse three says, "I will set no wicked thing before my eyes." You know, this is something that I had to get in the habit of doing when I would see a beautiful woman walking down the street. My mm. eyes automatically would just turn to look at her because I I just wanted to look at her, and the Lord actually had to train my mind that you know, to not look. Mm. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle. But the more that I practiced it, now, I, you know, I don't have to, you know, pull my neck the other direction. Now <laughs> it's just kind of more of a natural habit to not mm -hmm. look. And um, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing, just reiterating, is spend some time really, you know, spend some time at the foot of the cross so that you understand your own value. And that so that and, and then at the same time, so that you understand the value of these women that you're looking at, because things that we value, we tend to protect, right? You know, mm -hmm. we get these $500 phones and because we value them, we, we protect them, right? We put a case on them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We put a case on them. So as we value these women, rather than, than denigrating them, we'll begin to protect them because Amen. we value them. And, and, and so anyway, th those are some thoughts that I just wanted to leave with you. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, let's continue. Let's continue. Praise God for that. All right, so this next question reads, I have verbally and physically assaulted women in the past. And the young lady that I'm courting right now worries that I might revert back to my old ways in marriage. How can I reassure her that I'm a changed man? How can I reassure her that I'm a changed man? All right, so I, I will try to tackle this one. So I was thinking about this question and I started to think about it, not from the perspective of the man, but as perspective of a dad. So I'm a dad, I have a little girl 
and she's about to be a teenager in a couple of days. And I'm just thinking, okay, she's courting some dude that is been abusive in the past. And it didn't say assaulted woman. It said assaulted women, plural, mm-hmm. in the past. Um, so my mind's like, you know, full stop on that. First of all, you can't convince somebody of something unless they want to be convinced. Mm. Say that one more time. I said, you cannot convince somebody of something unless they want to be convinced. Okay. All right. And, and I say that in this sense. And you can't sell something that you're not sold on yourself. Mm. So are you fully converted? Are you fully at rest in Christ? Have you fully submitted all to God? Because if you are at rest in Christ and you're fully submitted, then you won't need to use dragon force hmm. in order to convince the young lady that you're dragon you force. Say, yeah, that's what I said. Dragon force. Mm. You won't you won't have to do it because mm-hmm. she will see the love of God, the patience of God, the peace of God that you have in your life. There won't be like, baby, I won't do that to you. You prom- I promise I will never have I will never hit you. You will never have to say that. Mm-hmm. You'll never have to say it because the peace of God will be upon you. And the, the, it, it, in my mind, this question is almost a forced question, meaning I want to convince her. That's the same thing that you did physically. That's the same thing that you did mentally to the women before. No, at the end of the day, are you at rest with God? Are you at peace with God? And if you have that peace and you have that calm, you have, you have that assurance that you are a new creature in Christ, it will emanate and she will be convinced because it is real, because it is genuine. The other part that I want to say on this, because I need to stop. Just because you don't do it in the present doesn't mean it won't creep up in the relationship. Mm. So the question is, who are your accountability partners with this issue? Who is it that, that are surrounding you with this? If you are, if you're going to this space, who can she talk to that? You know, that she's, she can go to and say, Hey, my man's acting out. I mean, at the end of the day, I wouldn't trust you. You know, I barely trust myself. Except I'm resting in Christ. Amen. And, and that's the key. Am I truly converted? Am I truly at peace with God? Because there's going to be a time when that young lady gets on your nerves. There's going to be a time when things aren't going right. There's going to be a time when money's not coming in the way you think it's coming in. Whatever the trigger was that got you triggered before, it's going to manifest itself some way. You have to be assured that you are resting in God. Otherwise, we're playing games. We're, it's, just because you say it right now don't mean it's going to be, be, be in the future. You've got to be wholly consecrated mm-hmm. to the Lord. Amen, amen. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, and that's a continued presence, a continued staying in Christ. John 15, he's the vine, we are the branches. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Great. So let's uh, look at our, if just a few more minutes remaining for our last uh, couple questions here. Mm-hmm. The question says, sometimes I have sexual thoughts about other men and I'm not sure what to do. I haven't acted on these thoughts, but no matter what I do, they keep coming back. Since they haven't gone away, does that mean that God is okay with it? And if he's not okay with it, how can I make them stop? 
All right. Uh, I'll take this one uh, because I can relate to it. And the question that comes to my mind uh, in a situation like this is, um, it really has an application to the heterosexual person as well as the person that has what we call same-sex attraction. Uh, I, what my mind goes to is Romans 12 verse two, it says, and be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, that's a big, um, that's a, there's a big expectation. However, I recognize that on my own, I can't change the things that come naturally to me. And, and I think that you kind of addressed that too, you know, you can't change the things that, that natural, that are natural to us because sin is natural to us. We're living in a world of 6,000 years of degenerated sin. So sin is natural. So mm -hmm. we need something divine. We need something that is more powerful than ourselves. And that's already available. Jesus already died 2,000 years ago to give us the victory today. Unto him that is able to keep us from falling is what the Bible says. So, so I have to cooperate with that. Mm -hmm. And what that means is I have to learn this process. And like, like you was saying, you know, it's like, you know, having to pull myself away from these temptations. Well, you can white knuckle your experience with God, but that's not what he's after. God wants an intimate relationship with each one of us. He doesn't want this white knuckle experience because you know what? It's not going to work and, and you're, it's futile and it's not lasting. You might have the victory for a, a while, but eventually that white knuckling isn't going to work for you because the devil's much too strong. So we need something stronger than ourselves. And, and I think that what's amazing is Hebrews 1 verse 9 comes to my mind because in this process of learning to surrender 20 years of living in the gay culture, 20 years as a sexual addict, you know, I was trained to let my mind go in that direction and to and to engage in those kind of things. So Hebrews 1.9 means that I have to learn to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. God hates. And you know what? That doesn't come natural to any of us. Can I get a witness? Anyone? So, so what yeah. I have to do is I have to submit my mind to, to God to allow him to change these thoughts and to change those, those actions. What I love is that, um, what is it? It's in Proverbs 20 verse, uh, 24, verse 16. It talks about the uh, righteous man falls seven times, but the wicked man falls into mischief. So they both fall. You know, the wicked man, he doesn't even care. He's not even trying. He just falls right into mischief. But the wicked man can't, I mean, I'm sorry, the righteous man can't even fall unless he's standing. That means that the difference between the righteous and the wicked is that the righteous man keeps standing up. It's a process of cleansing. And seven represents not only perfection, but completion. You, you, you've completed it to perfection, which God requires. Only the overcomers will I grant to sit with me on my throne. And so this process of learning that, you may not get it perfect at first, but you keep standing back up. You keep through, going through the process of confession and repentance and restoration and asking for the mind of Christ. Philippians 2. Um, uh, Verse 5. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You know, mm -hmm. does Jesus look at women or look at men or masturbate or look at pornography? Of course not. And so the mind of Christ is available for each one of us because of what he accomplished on the cross. And mm -hmm. so if I want the mind of Christ, there's only one, more, one word in that verse holding me back. And it's the very first word. It says, let give me permission. Mm -hmm. And you know something, so many times in this walk of 20 years of walking with Jesus Christ, and it wasn't perfect, but I would stand there on the threshold of this temptation. This thought will come in my mind, this dirty, nasty thought, but also the Holy Spirit would enlighten me and said, Mike, claim the promise. And, and I'd go, what promise? And he goes, 
let me put the mind of Christ inside of you. And I remember in the struggle, I would just have to make this decision and God will always respect your decision. But I had to give Christ permission to take these dirty thoughts. And if I would admit that I'm being tempted and then submit them to my higher covering, God had the ability to cancel that out 100%. However, it's not always 100% with each one of us because we still have to choose. And that's the process that God is learning. And as you learn to claim those promises, and to ask God to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. Mm -hmm. Then you can learn to give up these things that have become master of your life, but accept that it's a process, not an event. And that through this process, you can have the overcoming victory, but just keep standing up until you get that victory. Amen, amen. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it is a process. And thank you, brother uh, Michael, for, for just reminding us of that process of, of God healing us, of God delivering us. So it's powerful, powerful. Reminder there. Uh, we're going to go to our last question, our last structured question, then we're going to have an open live QA here. So, our last question. It reads What is the importance of waiting until marriage to have sex? I find it to be challenging. What are some practical steps that I can take to overcome my urge to have sex before marriage? Yeah, I, I just want to, um, and if someone else wants to tackle it after me, they can as well. I kind of just want to uh, tackle the first part of the question, right? What is the importance of waiting until marriage? Um, and, you know, this whole conversation we're having is because we live in the context of a world that does not wait until marriage. Um, but I guess something, a simple thing that I just want to mention is that you save yourself a lot of stress and a lot of unnecessary baggage taking that you take with you into this marriage. Um, so a lot of the time, you know, people who don't wait, they, they carry a lot of emotional, spiritual, um, sometimes even physical issues into, you know, this, this relationship um, that is supposed to be, you know, exclusive between just you two. Um, in Genesis 2, 24, it says that a male and a female become one flesh, right? So this concept, for me, when I read it, it's, it's more than a, a physical thing. Um, mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a soul tie, like this is a spiritual act that is taking place, right? This, this consecration of becoming one flesh. Um, and this, this means that every time we have sex with somebody, we're pretty much marrying that person, you know, spiritually speaking, like there's a soul tie that is created there. Um, and I even, I even heard a pastor put it this way and I was just mind blown. Um, when he mentioned this, but he said that even God has created in our original biology um, to show the importance of this covenant, this exclusive covenant between one male or one, one, one husband and one wife. And that can be seen, you know, when two virgins come together to have, you know, to consummate the marriage, a woman has a hymen, right? And when that hymen is broken, there's blood shed and if for my biblical scholars you guys know that a covenant cannot be created unless blood is shed and mm -hmm. this whole concept like blew my mind i was like my goodness that's deep so the the covenant is locked in you know after after the shedding of the blood but of course we don't live in a um in a in, we live in a fallen world you know that doesn't follow this that is not um this is not the norm so I, I kind of just wanted to add that, that in, in, in the fallen world, since this isn't the ideal, 
Um, we need to keep in mind that this is more than a physical act. You know, this is spiritual. And as we go on, you know, just think about it. When you walk into a room and then you see that person again that you had sex with that you don't talk to anymore, whatever it may be, those feelings, they come up. And, like, you can't run away from that. Um, so I think it's, it's very important for us to keep in mind, especially for the good of our future wife, future husband, um, that we don't bring, you know, more unnecessary stress and baggage with us into the relationship. Amen. Thank you. You got to unmute your mic. And also, I just wanted to agree with um, what, what Chris is saying here and kind of give like some, the acts also steps that you can take to overcome that urge and that desire to, to um, abstain from, from sexual intercourse before marriage. That one is very important. Um, and a lot of time we have that urge or that desire because of what we fill in our minds with or what we're exposing ourselves to. We given ourselves a disadvantage to overcome sin. And I can talk from my experience. Well, I can say praise the Lord that the only person, the only person I've ever been in a, in a sexual relationship with is my wife. So I praise the Lord for that. And looking back at my life, I saw that at, at some point in my life, the only thing that stopped me from that was just a lack of opportunity. But at, there, there came a point where First of all, I got a, a heart conversion because God had to tackle me from, from, the, from my heart. And that, that was repeated so many times on the, on the, the, the Zoom um, live here, on Facebook live and so forth, that heart transformation, that heart transformation. If you don't have that first heart transformation, then it will become so difficult to want to do the right. Because there are some people right now, even on this, on this, this line right now, who might be okay with the idea that they have seen in their life and they welcome it. And some, some of them might be even saying, you know, well, if I'm lost, well, so be it, you know? But we, we want to be able to have that heart conversion and to understand that God loves us. God wants us to be in the kingdom with him. And so whatever you do not come right, overcome right now, it will manifest itself in the relationship, in the marriage relationship. Many people think that when you get married, then that's like a ticket to do whatever. But there are certain things that if we don't overcome right now, it will manifest itself later on in the marriage. And also we have a responsibility to God. Um, the Bible has said, you know, we, the Bible talks about fornication. And also the Bible talks about knowing not that ye are the temple of God. And that was stressed on so many times, so many points um, throughout this conversation. But also I wanted to address um, also what was mentioned to as well was avoiding the appearance of evil. For now, let's, let me talk about, about me here. Um, I knew my triggers, especially back then, what will give me that uh, a, a strong urge and also an, even an urge to, to end up in, in, in sexual sin in different forms. I knew what, what triggered me. First of all, you have to look at social media. Social media is a big one. Um, back in the day, we have to go into the magazines, um, go underneath our blanket, you know, whatever, going secret to trying to do our thing. But now it's right in our phones. It's right on our computers. It's, it's everywhere before us now, our triggers. So social media, there are some women who just, who know, who may love to show their body in a, in a sexualized way. And that may be a trigger to you. Um, so whatever you know your triggers are, um, it starts to build up. You may, not, you may not want to have the urge to do something now, but it builds up and builds up and builds up until you just can't take it anymore. Um, you have to avoid those triggers. 
And for, for me, back then, one of the, the things, the steps that I took to avoid those triggers, I, I turned, I tuned myself out of social media for some time. Um, I said, you know what, I will limit my use on Facebook. I will limit my use on this other social media um, platforms where that was where I was really getting my triggers. And also, you know, outside of that, my relationship with women, um, I had to watch my relationship with women, how I spoke to them, um, avoid being flirtatious and all these different things. You have to watch this thing and also putting yourself in a position where it will give you an opportunity to do an act like that, um, being alone with a woman, um, being, being having conversation with a woman by, by herself, um, not in the presence of other people. So all of the different things that you have to watch your triggers, just avoid, avoid even the appearance of evil, as is said in, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 22, we need to avoid that. And also, I mean, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer, because I'm telling you, um, as we are near the end of time, these temptations will become more and more and more um, heavy and also more and more enticing. Um, and now the, the things that was even just a stigma was attached to it, showing those things on, on television or on the media, people are just doing it right now. If you go on Instagram, you know, before it would be a big thing for a woman to, to pose half naked. Now everyone is doing this type of things nowadays. So, you know, just keeping your mind fixed on God, being prayerful, being in the word. I was stated so many times on this, on this, um, this chat here so far. And just, just have that relationship with God because only God can keep you from falling. And even the Bible says that now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So only God can keep you from falling. He upholds you with his right hand. So that's my short advice that I'll give um, you here today. Um, and I pray that if there's someone who is listening who have that the struggle, that something may, that this may be able to help you. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, and I totally agree like with what you said. Oh yeah, yeah I guess you, I get you. I just want to say, um, I, totally, I totally agree with what you said. You know, and as we can see in the Bible, you know, in Numbers 25, the devil would use, or he used them all by women to seduce the Israelites right before they entered into um, Canaan. And that is literally what we're gonna see right now, especially in these end times, especially, you know, while we're in this, this state of uncertainty regarding the coronavirus. And we know in the Bible, and especially in Daniel chapter 12, that there will be a time of trouble, you know, when all of our freedom of um, religion and all of these things will be taken away, you know, the devil will use these deceptions and seductions more and more. So we really, really need to be rooted in the world, especially as we see what's going on. So thank you so much. Um, Michael, you wanted to share, and then we're going to transition into our Q&A. You're muted. Let me see. Michael, Sam. Sorry, you just have to start over because you, you were muted. Thank you. Okay. So I, I just wanted to add, Chris was talking about how sexual sin is something that's done, you know, not only physically, but, you know, psychology even recognizes that that you can't do anything sexual without incorporating all three strands of this rope that is brought together. Sex not only uh, is a physical act, it's also a spiritual act and a psychological act. So it incorporates the physical, the mind and the spirit together. You can't do anything sexual without bringing all three of those together. And you know what? The devil knows that and he knows what better way to take us out 
you know, you get three for one, you know, it's not just the physical or the spiritual or the mental, it's all three together. So whether you're looking at pornography or whether you're lusting after someone, the Bible is very clear. If you lust after someone is as if you're having um, sex with them or you're committing adultery. So I just wanted to point that out that sexual sin it destroys not just one aspect of us but all three and that's why the devil focuses so much on that especially as we're living in the end of time sexual sin is like the issue number one in the church and yet i'm shocked that there's so little communication about that that's why i'm so grateful for these kind of conversations a proverbs 31 man you know where we can talk about these real issues and start addressing the problems i don't think but the reason why our young people are walking out of church is because of the food or the music. I think the problem is the fact that we're not addressing the real issues that people are going through. And I'm so grateful for, for this, uh, this meeting. Thank you, everyone, from me. Thank you. Thank you. Ben, why don't you start, start us off with our Q&A? Thank you so much, panelists. And, you know, let's, let's pray that God continues to lead us as we speak in answering the Q&A portion that we're transitioning into right now. Amen. Great. So let's go ahead and take a look at this first question. We have so many questions that have been submitted and we're going to do our best to get through as many as we can. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at this first one here. This first question is, so many people speak about pornography being the issue. To some degree, I agree. However, masturbation can and does take place aside from the pornographic inclusion. The deeper issue is that many say these things affect them, but I've done, but I found that these things haven't ever been an issue for me personally. What practical advice can you offer? Whilst I've aspired to follow the Bible, praying, be, being obedient, and so on, I've at times reverted back to masturbation. Even whilst in the word or prayer, the sheer desire has been there to masturbate. It goes deeper. Masturbation for me has been a method to avoid me having sex with women. I've done that due to not allowing other another to burn with me. Thanks. So we're gonna open it up for all of our panelists to chime in on this first question here. You got it, Michael. All right, so, um, you know, here we go again. It's, it, the problem isn't the act of masturbation. The problem isn't the act of sex. The problem is what you're doing with the mind. The greatest sexual organ in the body is the mind. It's what you're doing in the mind. It's it, God wants a pure and a holy mind. He says, be holy, even as I am holy. So mm -hmm. anytime that you're engaging in masturbation, you're still allowing the mind to objectify people, to use people at your will. It lacks respect. Mm -hmm. and, and it creates, again, a breakdown of the moral fiber that God is looking to, um, to affirm in each one of us. So again, anytime that we allow the mind to, to work sexually, whether you're having sex with with yourself or someone else, it's still a breakdown of the moral fiber that God is trying to create in each one of us. So in my understanding, that is something that God requires also, sexual purity of the mind, not just sexual um, situations with other people. Yeah, I wanna also add to that really quick. So um, two, two things very quickly, number one, you know, the person had mentioned how there was even a desire, you know, um, you know, the Bible says in James chapter one that, you know, um, let no man say that when he is, um, you know, tempted, that he's tempted of God. But he says that each man is drawn away of his own lust. And so I, I can say from my own personal experience that there were times where I would be praying and I'd be like, Lord, I, I really do not want to watch pornography. 
And I would find myself doing the very thing that I didn't want to do. And that would weaken my morale even more. But there was something that God said to me one day, and you really, you, you really learn it from the story of Jacob. God told me to remain on my face until he gave me the victory. And you really see this, you, you really see this with Jacob. Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so sometimes I think we, we, you know, we may be on our face praying five, five minutes, Lord, please help me. And we feel like the Lord is not answering us. And then we go into the very act when we need to have that mindset of Jacob to where we're praying and we won't let God go until he, he removes that desire from our hearts. The second part of that, that I, I would connect with the thought is that he said that he uses uh, masturbation as a method to, to, to um, not sleep with women. I would say that there is a danger in that. And the reason being is because, you know, um, you know, we're told in the book of Galatians chapter three, Paul says, having begun in the spirit, shall you may be, shall you be made perfect by the flesh? So he's trying to keep himself through the ability of the flesh. And, and James 17 says, cursed is the man that put up his trust in man and maketh the flesh his arm, the arm being the symbol of strength. So he is literally trying to use his arm as his strength to keep him from, from, from sleeping with women, but that's dependence upon the flesh. And, and eventually it may keep you for, for a month and maybe even for a year, maybe even for a couple of years, but eventually you will fall into that very sin because you're depending on, on the flesh to keep you rather than on that Jude 124 promise, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. So in both cases, remaining on your face in prayer is showing, Lord, I can't do this. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Lord, give me the strength that I need to overcome this thing and, and, and not try to use any tactics of the flesh to try to overcome sin because it, it won't work. But that, that's what I would say to that. Jude 124 was that last verse. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Um, let's go on to another question that's come in. I want to find somebody to marry one day, but how do I approach getting into a relation? Should I let my intentions be known when I decide I want to get in a relationship? How do I go about it if, if the answer is yes to letting my intentions be known? Yes, so I wanted to probably speak on this one a little more. And I think it ties into the question, uh, I want to tie it into the question number five that Chris answered earlier, and also um, another question that someone I saw submitted as well, um, because relationships, um, we have to understand, and this one hit me hard too, because growing up, I, I, my first girlfriend was at the age of 16, and after that relationship, I said, you know what, until I didn't really see you know, too much sense in it. And I said, until I see the sense in this thing, I'm not gonna get into another girlfriend, boyfriend relationship again. And I didn't until like five years later. But um, what I did for that time was I, I had close relations with people of the opposite sex, with women. I had close relationship with women. And um, one of the things, that really hit home to me, um, especially when I started learning some more and I started to, God started to work in my heart, was that I was doing an injustice. Um, it was worse for me to just be friends, you know, with those girls than to even go into a relationship with them. And one of the reasons I say this is because I travel with a lot of hats. Um, even Ellen White says here in the book Adventist Home, and in the book Adventist Home, it says to trifle with hats 
is a crime of no small magnitude in the sight of a holy God. And yet some will show preference for young ladies and call out their affections and then go their way and forget all about the words they have spoken and their effect. And that one really hit home to me because that was me. I had close relations with women. I didn't give my full intentions and also relationships, especially um, with the opposite sex like that in that manner, is, it, leads, it should lead to, to one thing and one thing only, and that is marriage. And unless you're ready to marry that person, you shouldn't be calling uh, the feelings of that person. You shouldn't be stirring the feelings of that woman or that young man if you have no intentions of marriage. So if your intention is, is you, you are ready to marry, all, you know, all the steps have been followed, you know, preparation to marriage. If anybody haven't watched, um, listened to the series, you know, W. Frizzy has a good series on, you know, preparation for marriage. You can try to find the audio for that. But if you, if you do not have intentions of marrying someone or you're not ready to get married, then you should leave the brothers or the sisters alone. And you shouldn't try to get into that close relationship um, that, that, you know, a lot of people partake into today. And I, and I was a victim of, um, and, I, and I did as well to other young ladies and I broke a lot of hats and so forth. So if you're serious about marriage, then um, you, you develop that relationship, that friendship with that person, you get to know that person more and you try to figure out if that person fits in well with um, the requirements that God would have for you to find in the, in the, in the woman or man. And then if that person meets the requirements of God and also what you're looking for in that in other individual, then you should pursue it a, a little further. But unless you're ready to make that move, unless your intention is marriage and that other person's intention is marriage, then that should just be kept quiet and you should really um, um, not, not go further with that relationship. Yeah, I, I just want to also just stem off of what Brother Renoir was saying, too. And like everything that he said, like I completely agree with. I think another thing um, to, to kind of counterbalance in a way, just just balance things out is like this doesn't mean we should just like, you know, keep ourselves in a separate room. Guys stay over here and girls stay there. And that's it. We never talk to the opposite sex. I think it's more so um, like on the on the really personal level on the really, um, you know, just intimate level of, of talking with people of the opposite sex, it's important for us to not entertain things like that um, if we don't really have that intention to, to continue. Um, but I think it, it's safe to get to know somebody, you know, in a public environment, whether it's at church or whether it's, you know, you, you, you have like a, a youth group or something that you guys go out together um, just to kind of get to know, you know, um, women and just just to kind of understand because you know the other side of of that issue is kind of just like having no understanding of how to approach a woman and then you know first time now you you catch feelings for somebody but you don't really know how to go about it so i i do think there's a balance there um in in you know kind of there's there's a boundary that has to be drawn and it's it's way easier said than done um but brother renoir i think uh, made a good point with, with what he said. Yeah. And can I quickly say that you never see a gazelle chasing a lion? It goes against the natural order of things. 
And so, yeah, I, I would say <laughs> allow God to lead a man to pursue at the right time rather than the opposite way. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're really short in time. I'm going to just entertain one last question. And I think this question is a really good question for us to kind of summarize everything we've been speaking about. I'm going to address this question to Andre. And the question reads, what is a Proverbs 31 man? Again, this is our last question because of our time. And I just want Andre to kind of just summarize everything that we've spoken about and also just answer this question to the best of your God-given ability. Thank you, bro. All right. Actually, this is interesting. I was thinking about this and I, I thought to myself, Proverbs 31 man? Mm-hmm. Well, the whole book of Proverbs is written to a man, except for the last chapter. So when you're looking at a Proverbs 31 man, you're looking at the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the person that is completely submitted to God, that's willing to do whatever God tells him to do in his experience. And it's interesting because Adam, you would think, was a perfect man. But Adam submitted to the desire of the woman because he was fearful of losing the woman. But a Proverbs 31 man is willing to sacrifice everything to God. And knowing that God is able to provide for him at every space, meaning I don't have to self-satisfy myself. I don't have to solve my own problems. I don't have, I have to depend upon the most high to provide for me and my family, for my wife, for my child. That Proverbs 31 man is perfection. And guess what? Ain't no Proverbs 31 man on planet earth. Amen. Y'all hear me? Yeah, nobody heard me. There is no Proverbs 31 man on earth in and of himself. The Proverbs 31 man is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And as the man is submitted in Christ, that is the only Proverbs 31 man that exists. And my friends, it's very, it's very interesting. And it's sobering to me because the other day, you know, you sometimes you think you're doing good. Like I'm, I'm being a great husband. I'm being a great dad. And then the reality hits. Wait, wait, wait. I'm I'm not perfect. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So that Proverbs 31 man does not rest in his own wisdom. That Proverbs 31 man does not rest in the strength of his own arm. He does not rest in the in the the counsel of the many per se. That Proverbs 31 man is completely, totally dedicated to the most high. That's that man. And all of us are striving to be submitted to that man, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we wanna thank everyone so much for joining us. I hope this was edifying. I hope it was enlightening. I hope, you know, questions were answered and we wanna thank our panelists. And if really quickly, like really, really quickly, if you could just give, you know, just, some words of encouragement, some words of advice. We only have time for two people. Two people really quickly just give words of encouragement. Um, Please go. I'll give one. Um, You find in the story Numbers chapter 14 when the children of Israel had um, mummered against God, serpents came in and bit them. 
And God gave an eternal solution that not only will keep people on earth, but it's the very safeguard that will keep us in heaven. He told Moses to build this brazen serpent. And he said, everybody who looks will live. So my encouragement to people on the line is wherever you may find yourself, whatever sin you may find yourself struggling with, you must learn to take daily looks at the man Christ Jesus. Daily, behold him in the garden of Gethsemane. Behold him, you know, the father separating himself from him. Behold him sweating drops of blood. Beholding him on the cross, all for you. And as you do this, it will imbue you with the power that will help you um, to ultimately get the victory over whatever it is that you're struggling with. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your flaws. Stop looking at your shortcomings. Learn to behold the man Christ Jesus and you will receive all the power that you need to overcome whatever it is that you're struggling with. Amen. And Amen. also my wisdom encouragement would be um, for myself, how I was able to overcome a lot of um, um, sexual sins and so forth in my life was a hard conversion. When I, when, when I started feeding more on the word of God, when I started to interest myself more in the things of God, because I told myself, if I knew the lyrics of songs and I knew the movies and, the, and, the, and the, all those things out there, and I don't know the things of God, then why am I wasting my time spending all my time on those things? And what I really want is heaven. So for me to gain heaven, I must fill my mind with heavenly things. So from the music, I start to fill my mind with, the, with heavenly music. I start to listen to God's word. I start to watch inspiring things online and so forth, just bombarding myself so that way I can drown out all the evil that was in my mind, all the evil thoughts, because it started in my mind. And when I drowned out all my evil thoughts, and then it came to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't imagine them anymore, then God gave me that power and that victory. But that came from a love in Christ, a love for God, a love for his word, a love for the things of God. So I can say that one of the, 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 the basis of every single thing that you must do, it must be actuated by love. And that is lasting. If you love, if you have that love in your heart for God and for your fellow men, that will be lasting and you would do things um, out of not hurting Christ and not hurting your fellow men rather than in just, uh, in just doing things because of the law and so forth. So that's one thing I want to encourage you out there with. Um, if any one of us in here can overcome and have done it, then you can as well. And we can do that in Christ. He came on his earth to give us an example that we can also overcome as well. Thank you so much for that. So what I'm going to put, I'm going to put this out there, young men, young men, and I would encourage young women to pray for young men, but young men, if you're having any issues, you know, sexually, if you're having any, you know, issues um, spiritually, if you need a mentor, if you need Bible study, please reach out. Men need to work together. Men need to learn from each other and grow together. Please reach out. The New England Youth Retreat email, utilize that. Send your questions. Send your, 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 you know, ask for prayer, all of these things. Use resources, please. Men, we tend to be very prideful. Let's not be prideful. Realize that we all have an issue. And all of the men on this panel are examples of what God can do in your life. So please reach out. We're praying for you. We're encouraging you. What this world needs more than anything before is men. Men that can really be men and really allow the love of Christ to shine from their hearts. Thank you guys so much. I'm sure you want to use a bathroom. I'm sure you want to go um, maybe grab something to eat. But at 11.30, 11.30, a little more than 30 minutes from now, we're going to go into our next workshop, Identity by Andrew Barrett. Please stay tuned. Take a little break and join us as we continue to speak about really, really important issues. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And I pray that you have a blessed day and a happy Sabbath for all of my people who are Sabbath-keeping Christians. God bless you. And it was such a pleasure to, to, um, to do this with you. Sean, can I ask a quick question? Sure. There were a lot of people asking, is there a way for their uh, questions that were unanswered to be answered? Several people asked that. I, I just wanted to know, is, is there a way that that can take place? Can that's they just that email the question to you guys? Yeah, that's something that we're going to look into. We're going to try to go over the questions on the, on the various places that they submitted the questions. It would be best if those questions were emailed again to that New England Youth Retreat email. And then, by God's grace, as we sort things out, we'll try to be able to answer some of these questions. Um, we're not sure how we're going to do it. Pray for us. But we're not, and we're not ignoring you guys. We're not ignoring you. It's just so many questions that we're very short on time. But thank you so much for that. And Sean, what is the email address? New England Youth Retreat at gmail.com. Again, that's New England Youth Retreat at gmail.com. And Brandon, will you just pray for us as we close? Of course. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful uh, for these moments that we could spend together, Lord, truly hearing words of, of wisdom, words of light uh, from you, from uh, the various panels who have been able to join us. And Lord, we just praise you because we know that you have a personal interest in our salvation, Lord. And you desire that each of us would day by day, by day surrender to you so that you can have full control of our lives, that you can do the, the transforming work that is so needed in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to take all that we've heard today and to uh, be changed as we leave this uh, meeting and to, of course, share as well so that others might, too, know the plans that you have for them. We thank you, we love you, and we adore you, Father. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again. 1130, Identity, please tune back in. God bless you. God bless everyone. All right. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.